Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk, the Jewish Chronicle podcast, sponsored by the Athena Advisors. I'm Jake Wallace-Simons, editor of the Jewish Chronicle, and in each episode I'll be joined by a special guest to reflect, debate and have a bit of a schmooze. This week I'm delighted to welcome the food critic, television presenter and Jewish Chronicle columnist Charles Corrin to talk about Jewish cooking. If you're listening with children or thinking of doing so, watch out, there may be the occasional F-bomb. In his latest Jewish Chronicle column about brewing up a traditional chicken soup, Giles writes, The more I ate, the more I thought, yes, this is how it was in Stanmore in 1978. Giles Corin, welcome, and let's talk. Thank you very much. I thought we'd talk about food. Why? Why not? Well, because you're writing for us about food. Oh, yes, fine. Uh, sorry, Anne. And, sorry, Anne. Fine. and uh, another reason, of course, you're, you're known for writing about food. So I, I thought we'd talk about Jewish food in particular for obvious reasons. At the risk of sounding like a therapist, take me into your childhood via the medium of food. What was the food like when you were growing up in Stanmore? Stanmore, as um, which was which I wrote about in or mentioned in my first uh, column for you, that was where my grandma Isabel and grandpa Michael lived um and that was in the house that my mother grew up in my mother probably wouldn't be that crazy about me she doesn't really talk about that she's not so into the Jewish thing as as one might be and she, oh do you have to go on about Stanmore again and the chicken soup and everything my mother is a more cause of cosmopolitan woman of the 60s and she God, you started me on here. I don't know if I can keep it down to whatever your time frame is, because I'll get onto her and my my father marrying and what it meant to be Jewish as a, trying to be a doctor or a journalist in the 1960s and this latent sort of soft anti-Semitism that persuaded them to not pretend not to be, but to just naturally grow away from the Jewish communities they grew up in. My right. father in Enfield, Southgate, sort of 1890s pogrom fleeing Ukrainian Jewish Plonsk. I'm going to end up having to tell you about how my great-grandfather was in Haida with um, Ben-Gurion. Okay, well, that's interesting. And was in the year above him. I think he probably wow. bullied him. I think, the, I think the State of Israel has a lot to... I reckon he bullied Ben-Gurion. Really? No, no, I've read these things because Ben-Gurion was the star of the Haida in Plonsk. Oh, bollocks. It's my, it's my grandpa, Harry, who lived... What did he do to him? Oh, I, of course he didn't bully him. I'm just thinking, he was a, I, I, you know, I'm just thinking, oh, I've strayed already. But at things, 
uh, in uh, in sort of celebrations and stuff. What's the word? The Yiddish word? I've forgotten already. The thing that Simchus. ends in ot. Simchus. Simchus. That's it. Oh, yeah. Simchus. Simchus. Yeah. Exactly. There would always one of the things always, of course, Harry was in Haida with Ben Gurion, and, and I, I just wondered if the Ben Gurion family boasted about it as much as. Uh, <laughs> or it's one of those things. It's like everyone was there, at, uh, you know, Glastonbury in, in in whatever or the the the, yeah. the thing in America Woodstock. Everyone was at Woodstock. Yeah, basically everyone was in Haida with with Ben Gurion, weren't they? But my grandfather <laughs> was, and they were they were. I think Ben Gurion was born eighteen eighty six, and my grand grandfather. I was 1885 so I, I wondered if he was in the year above I never was in Haida my father was I never was so I don't know if it's in years but yes. anyway they were there together anyway so they, they were that kind of Jew left there came here they were in food they were in fish so my, my, my great grandfather was a wet fish a man two fish monger shops then he moved into edible oils and right. H. Corrin Edible Oils was a was a shop, was a, was a factory, it was an outlet in Packington Street in Islington. What are edible oils? Edible oils. Edible oils, vegetable oil for cooking. Um, just, just that? For cooking fish and chips. Uh, and fish, yeah. fish oil? Because you, yeah, so that, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's like Mazzola. Right. Think, but except in the, as you, so it's, it's edible oils as opposed to like diesel. Right. I think it's, it's the point. Uh, and this was a long, so this was a long tradition. And I feel very tied too, because we all know the history of fish and chips. Yes. Yeah. Um, the Jewish, Jewish history of fish games. And yeah, exactly. The Jewish history of fish and chips. It's the, they, they, the Goyim, they don't like us taking, um, credit for it, but we can take a reasonable amount. Yeah. And, you know, and it's the notion of having the fried fish. Then apparently down by the docks, the other immigrants were the Irish and they did the chips. I think by then you've got a bit, it's got a bit too fanciful. Bit yeah. too fanciful. But anyway, but, but, but Grandpa Harry, great grandpa, he did, he moved from the fish into the oil and, and, and was fish frying. And I, as recently as the nineties, I went into a fish and chip shop in Islington where two elderly, a Jewish couple in their 80s who'd been running for a very long time, I was sitting at the table and I was early days as a restaurant critic and they said, Giles Corrin, Corrin, are you any relation? Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry for doing the accent. I just can't That's help right. it. It's, my, it's not a generic Jew accent. Friends, it's a Corrin accent. Giles Corrin, are you any relation? And I went, yeah, well, of course, you know, he was my father. Your father, you seem very young. Relation of who? Assuming they meant Alan Corrin because they're... They meant Harry Corrin. Long, Harry, Harry Corrin died in 76. H. Corrin Edible Oils. I remember him so well. I remember your grandpa, Sam, who was my grandfather, who I knew well, who my, my son is named after, who was born in 1912. I remember your grandpa, Sam, used to come on the cart. He used to sit on the horse that, that pulled wow. the oil. I remember they would deliver. They would deliver. You'd pay for 12. Only after they'd left, you realize he only left 11. <laughs> and that was, a, they, they were literally still, still sweating. <laughs> Clearly, my, he was a low grade fish oil, vegetable oil crook. <laughs> the, the price of fish and chips was just a little bit higher than it should have been because of my great grandpa Harry. But anyway, so they were that kind of Jew and they were, and then in the next generation, they were sort of, there were seven kids and my grandfather was one of them and they were sort of quite fun, roguish. Bet on the horses and, uh, and gamblers and a bit of property and a bit of this and a bit of that. And, my gra- yeah. and on the other side, they would, the other kind, this is, you know, the, the fallout from the show they were, they were survivors from what was Czechoslovakia or had yeah. been the, the, the Austro-Hungarian Empire when my, grandmother and grandfather were born uh, and they were sophisticates from from Bratislava and they arrived and it was one of those things where later on I realized that all my grandparents were alive until you know well into my late childhood early thing that they both kind of looked down on each other because the the, the my father's side uh, looked down on my mother's side for being immigrants we've just made a thing we've been here for 60 years you've come everyone thinks we're part of it. you've come along with your Jewish ways and you're making us look back yeah. and so they looked down on them my mother's family looked down on my father's lot for being common back in Bratislava they'd been a bit shishi I think they had a department store or I think they were in one, one side of the family were in feathers 
which was just a thing, I guess, in practice in the 40s, Feather Tycoon. So they had a way, as in, I mean, it's not serious looking down, but it's a way that in-laws have, the way today that sort of black British families who've been here for maybe 60 years when African immigration started happening in the 90s, wait a minute, we've settled in and now you're coming. Yeah. Is that there's always reasons to... And was there food on the other side, food connection? There's much more sophisticated on. food, because right. you want to talk about that coming from... Because my story is the same as all your readers and listeners, isn't it? Basically, our story is always the same. It's why you can only have so many Jews on who do you think you are. Oh, right. Here we are at Auschwitz again. It's always, you know, it's always sort of the same story. But um, so so there was my father's side. And they weren't, they stopped, there was fish and chips and like booze and like fun and going to the races. And the cooking was, yeah, my my father's, as I alluded to in my my first piece for you, my father's mother, Martha, wasn't a great cook. And my mum, one of her sort of, her origin stories, like superheroes and have always have an origin story. My mother's origin stories is, is partly that my dad thought she was the best cook ever because his mum was such a terrible cook. But she tried to cook. She I mean, tried she to cook. And she tried Jewish food as well. Well, she was. She kept yeah. it, my, my, my father's mother, you know, but they, they, mm. they came from a from family. They were, they were very observant and, and, uh, and she cooked and, you know, she was very literal. The whole thing was, you know, the thing of cooking on, on, on Friday before dark so that you've got food for Saturday. It was my mother, my grandmother probably did that every night. She got so into cooking well in advance that a, she famously would cook a roast dinner, everything, vegetables, vegetables, the night before. And then you'd show up and it would be warmed up. But this would be on a Tuesday. And my mum would be, this is not Shabbat. What is this? No, she just, just to be on the safe side. She, she, she cook everything. Yeah, batches. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the food was generally terrible. My mother's mother is a grandma Isabel who she came, came from Bratislava via Derby to Stanmore. Ended up in St. John's with, of course, because things went well. Um, but she, and she was a proper cook. She was like a great cook. So the, she, her chicken soup, which I was trying to replicate in that, that was, she, that was just great. Her, her, her knetlach were amazing. Uh, her kreplach were fantastic. Her, her, her cholent, she was, was, which I threatened I might do in my next piece for you, but. You didn't threaten, you promised, you vowed. Well, we have to talk in about that because listen, it was, this the summer. This is not cholent weather. That's true. Uh, uh, or cholent, which has got to be wrong. I think there are variations. I don't accept it. It's like, I used to, the, the late, great John Diamond, the, the late husband of Nigella, used to argue about bagel and bagel because he's, and he would go, bagel, what is this bagel? And I think, I said, bagel, I assume this is, I'm North London, John, and you're East London. Bagel. Yes, it's a perennial divide. It's a thing, bagel but there's that bagel, one in yeah. East London where they spell it beagle, i.e., as well. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes you Ill. Has it even got a hole in But anyway, so this, I feel I'm worried about whether I should do cholent because well, I can't do a cholent salad, can I? I mean, the cholent is like, that is a winter dish. Anyway, we'll come, I may be a fish cholent. But so, but my, so my, but my grandmother would do, made this beautiful cholent with, you know, just overnight bubbling, maybe in the, maybe in the baking oven of, of the, 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 the warming pan of an arg for 16 hours overnight with the amazing cooking that she would do. And then for, for, you know, and, and then other not specifically Jewish things, be strong enough, things that I think of as 60s and 70s dishes she cooked. And what line was that side of the family in? If you had, Edible oils on the one side, on the other side, St. John's Wood, you had. So there, my grand, my grandfather, who left, I don't know if you always want this thing, but he, he left Bratislava in, now I get the dates wrong, but the annexing of the Sudetenland, I think it's 38. Mm. So, mm. so what happened was his, they were very, they were those kind of upper middle class, upper middle class, middle class educated Jews, completely assimilated. They were there, you know, the whole thing, they, they, they had pictures of, um, Franz Ferdinand. Was it? The Austro-Hungarian Kaiser, who was the big friend of the Jews, mm. uh, Franz Joseph, was it? Mm. Franz Joseph, they were still, they, he, he was still the, not, yeah. Frank, well, Ferdinand yeah, yeah, was, yeah. The, was the son who got shot in yeah, Sarajevo, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, and then there was yeah. the dad. Anyway, he was a big friend of the Jews. I had a big friend of the Jews. I don't think he had Jews around the palace, but I mean, he was nicer to them than subsequent German and Austrian leaders. Uh, and so, and I think they had a, a portrait of him. Like he was this, and they thought him as Austro-Hungarian and, um, they were smart. My grandmother always said that they spoke 
I said, well, she spoke all these languages um, and she lost them in order as she got old. And she lost English first, although she was fluent with a strong accent. But she, the, the, they spoke, um, it was uh, Hungarian at home, German at school and Slovak with the servants, was what she said, wow. rather, in a sort of Maggie Smith downs and out yes. way. Uh, and Slovakian. The, the and what was her final, the final language that she spoke? English disappeared and she couldn't speak that anymore. And then German, she, she, and I would speak to her in crappy A-level German. And then Hungarian. Uh, which I could say, Servus, <laughs> Servus Oma, Servus Rada, and that was it. And I think, Chunya Leivolt. I don't know if that's it. I think that means she was an ugly girl. Right. Uh, to, but which, uh, I'm trying to get her to teach me. <laughs> that's something she taught you to say. I think, yes. Yeah. When I was, when compelled to go and visit my grandma, not compelled, but it's like it's a bit boring when you're a 15 year old boy. I'd go around there. The main thing was she smoked fags. And so I would smoke fags with my grandma when I was 15 and she'd mm-hmm. feed me Baileys. Uh, and, and then like, okay, teach me, teach me Hungarian grandma. So I remember this, you know, like, uh, so, so in terms of the, the, the specific dishes that you remember from yeah. that time, we talked about, well, let's talk about chicken soup first and the uh, phenomenon that is unlaid eggs, mm-hmm. um, which I think not all of our listeners will know what they are. No, um, they're, uh, they're, th- they're sort of this thing which nobody really knows about. And people come up, have come up to me and non-Jews who've, Friends of mine who've seen the piece in the JC or been told by, I never know what the readership is amongst non-Jews, but there's quite a lot who are seeing it and going, what's this with the unlaid eggs? And I was a little sad, I was worried about revealing it, given the things that people historically thought about Jews. My God, have you heard this? They eat the unlaid, it's not that far from the blood libel. They eat the, they, <laughs> they eat the unlaid eggs of chickens. Yeah. And as I said in the Christian were, chickens, Christian chickens. Chicken, they were, well, I think they're pretty Jewish chickens, the good ones. Cause in my grandmother's day, that was the boiling chicken. It comes to the end of its life. I think back in Bratislava. They, they didn't have a farm. They had a department store. But, you know, they got it from someone who just they killed the chicken. And there are these eggs that are ready to go. When the eggs, it's not really laying much anymore. The eggs are ready to go and they're lined up waiting to become eggs. And they're inside and you get your boiling chicken. And it's a thing you cook in the soup. Now, what, it, what's strange is that I was not a, I was a, I was a 70s kid. And at home, when you were asking about the food, my mum was a doctor. She was an anaesthetist. She was a full-time consultant. We had a nanny, a cook and a housekeeper in our house in Crookerwood, which my dad always goes humble Crookerwood. Yeah, almost, it was like Downton Abbey, brittle with stuff, which she could get on a, on a doctor's and journalist salary in the 70s. Um, and my mum didn't do that much cooking and wasn't around that much. So she, it was sort of fish fingers and chips and Finder's crispy pancakes and frozen pizza and, you know, home cooked some things my mum when she was there she would cook her beef jogging off her roast chicken or whatever and it was very good but the thing was I'd go to my grandma's house and we went quite often because my parents all worked very hard quite often my grandma would pick us up from school we'd go and stay with them for days when the parents were. my sort of lowering grandfather who was a civil engineer who'd when you asked about what kind of people he was a civil engineer my mother's a doctor and her brother's a civil engineer because they felt having fled overnight uh, on the annexation of the Sudetenland that their children should have uh, a, a portable trade. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have to pick up in, with your, in, the, in the middle of the night and stam or and go somewhere else because the Nazis have come or, or whoever it might be, you're going to need something you can do. Being a restaurant critic, pretty useless. Uh, being able to know where you go. Yeah, it's, it does a bit. Do they, the Jews arrive and start complaining about their food. They're not going to like it, are they? In America, whatever. but the, um, the American, small portions. <laughs> exactly. So, but the point was, I would go to my grandma's house and I would just gobble down these unlaid eggs. They were the things that I loved most. And, uh, she would then go you know, she, and describe them. I mean, they were there. So they, they, they come in sizes ranging from a pea up to a full-grown egg yolk, and there's about seven or eight of them lined up, ready to go. And when I've seen them, and they're in, shell, shell-free, shell, shellless. shellless. The last one on its way out of the the exit of the chicken, 
to avoid any gynecological terms, uh, is can have developed a very slight shell, which is in its own way kind of a delicacy. It sounds like something you would hear about. Oh, they eat this in in uh, in China and Mongolia, uh, or Mongolia. Yeah. But it's, it's you know it's some sort of exotic thing, but it's incredibly unexotic. It's just a boiled egg and. But there are these different sizes of they're lined up. There's about eight ready to go, and then they pop, 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 and they go in. And then you, but you take them out of the soup, and the offal goes into making the, you know, the, the lungs and the lights and everything go to making this the soup. And you keep the eggs aside, and then you cook them just for a minute in the soup before you serve it when the knedlach are all done and everything, or the barley, whatever it is. And and then they, at their best, after about if they're cooked for a minute and a half, they're quite gel like. You don't want them to be too runny because it's a bit there. Because uh, they can be a bit veiny sometimes, um, uh, and and the bigger ones are increasingly just like an egg, and they just seem to be this amazing treat. It was it was a bit like a sixpence in a Christmas pudding or something. It, here in your soup is this thing, and I just loved them. And so she would try and get more, and she would try and persuade the butcher, "Can I have more?" But he wouldn't want to give this many. This many, and then she'd say, "I've got I've got for you thirty thirty delicious." Say, I, I can't do her accent at all because it was Czech. It made it sound like an Italian Sophia Loren. Um <laughs> And this was a massive treat. And the, but the, and the, having written the piece. For you, then I get lots of correspondence and emails and stuff, and obviously it's a massive thing for a certain yeah. kind of Ashkenazi Jew. And it was I remember this, and I, there's probably even some word for it that I don't know. Your kids didn't like it. I mean, there's this lovely yeah. line in your column where you say that they question you that so this actually came from inside the chicken, and you said yes, and then that your daughter, I think, lowers it back into the soup like a burial at sea. Yeah, she said, yeah, exactly. No, because they, they, there are things that they will eat. My 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 son, I hesitate to say this in a on a Jewish podcast, is he frogs legs? He loves a frogs leg. Uh, there is there is no greater trait than a frog's leg. The whole of of Leviticus exists to stop people eating frog's legs, uh, but it's the thing that that he that he eats and presented in a certain way because it was one pub. We went to a posh pub once and they had these crispy sort of KFC style frog's legs. Mm. I won't eat them because mm. you do have residual bits of kashrut sort of deep in your thing. My father would we, my father would eat sort of like a lot of Jews would eat he'd eat bacon uh, and and he would some he could just about get as far as a pork chop but I never saw it happen but a leg of put a leg of lamb or a belly of I saw a leg of pork or a belly of pork in front of me he couldn't do but do your kids see themselves as Jewish uh no I try and persuade them they are because because they're my children I mean because also they're just the kind of person that Jews want people to be like that you know the, the Jewish thing when you go look it's Paul Newman it's Harrison Ford they're a Jew they're not they're not Jews, but come on, they're not Jews, are they? The idea that there's this six foot two, super handsome, blue eyed Jew that all the girls want to be with is a thing that Jewish men like us, for example, you and me, and you know, that's what, yes, that's my self image. My son is big and blonde and blue eyed and brilliant at sport. Yes, you're, and you're a Jew, mate. And that's great. And Jews are going to be like that. And he has got, he's obviously got, he's half not Jewish. And my daughter is also, she's sort of quiet and bookish and matty and wears glasses, and which I think of as quite Jewish, but she's also very tall and kind of rangy. And obviously you get tall, rangy Jews, and I'm lapsing into all sorts of anti Semitic uh, uh, paradigms here. But um, I, I do, I, I see them as Jewish and they understand. They're half. I always describe myself to people a bit as like because I'm I'm a hundred percent, hundred percent. There's no anywhere, no current going back. Ever got lucky with any girl that wasn't a, another Jewish princess, and so fully Ashkenazi. But I, but nothing else of the culture really at all, apart from a distant memory. It's like being black. Mm. It's like mm. different from black. Except less good at sport. And so you know, it's 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 and the but, but the um, and so they're half and they're in that right, and they can't right, avoid it. And right. and so the arguments you have with people, you know, if I write about this below the line in the Times, there'll be endless 
you know, juice planing, but they're not, they're goy planing. It's like the Christian matter. Endless goy saying, well, you're, you, well, you're obviously, you're, you're, it's not a race. You're not Jewish because you don't go. And they go, what about your mother? What about your mother? My mother mm. was, but you must, it's more complicated than that. You know, what some people define themselves like David Badil talks about Hitler's definition, one grandparent and you're off. Fine. Mm. So my kids are twice that Jewish. I, a, a thing that happened when I, when my daughter was five and she was at King Alfred's, which is a school, yeah. Golders Green, as it would happen, a private school. Uh, and they just cover all the religions equally and they're not, it's a, it's not a, a, a church of England school. And I went in one December and there was, uh, in the window, uh, a, a menorah, right? I sometimes say mezuzah, which is the thing you stroke on the door lintel and the menorah is the candle's good. Uh, and there was a, there's a menorah in the window. It's like, or it's, it's normally in the window, but it's now on the table. And I said, and they had, had, Claire was from Manchester, was her, her teacher thing. I said, Claire, what, 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 what's, is that a menorah? Ah, it's a menorah. Yeah, we're doing that today. I said, why? Well, it's Hanukkah today, isn't it? I mean, is it? Bloody hell, I had no idea. I thought it was closer to Christmas. No, this year it's now. It's, we're talking to teach them all about, all about Hanukkah. And I, Kitty, my little five year old, was about to go to, I said, graduate, Kitty, Kitty, you're going to talk about Hanukkah today, okay? It's a Jewish thing that's a festival of lights. I don't know much. I think there was a miracle with some oil. I think there are Romans involved, but it happens at the same sort of time as Christmas. And the thing is, you're Jewish. And she went, what? I said, I've got to go because like, parking only lasts another three minutes on a, out on the Great North Road, whatever. But you, you're, you're, I'm not that. No, you are. You're, this is not, when you do, it's not what, Hanukkah isn't their thing. It's your thing. Well, why don't we celebrate it? Complicated, darling, complicated. Yes, we've got a Christmas tree. But anyway, just so that you know. And that was how she learned that she was Jewish. And now a quick word about our sponsor, the Athena Advisors. They are a global consulting firm driven by a belief in social justice helping charities and NGOs to repair the world through excellence in fundraising. Boards of trustees, executive teams, and philanthropists turn to the Athena Advisors to help them develop their capabilities, systems, and skills for more effective fundraising. With hubs in London and Washington, and a diverse team of professionals on four continents, they help organizations ramp up their impact and reach. To find out more about how the Athena Advisors drive organizational performance for good, visit TheAthenaAdvisors.com And now the Jewish food, I mean, that's the premise of yeah. the column, really, is to cook them yes. chicken soup and chollens, and going maybe forward. not the summer, but... And, go, yes. and I want to bake challah and this kind of thing. They've had, we have had, we have celebrated Friday night mm. three or four times. Never did it at home. At home, there was nothing. There was Pesach, there was Seder night once a year at the grandparents, and then after they died at ours, and a yard site would get light for the, got lit for my mother's, father after he was dead and that was the thing otherwise nothing although my father's book torah and everything and he was and his all his he had all the equipment the, the shawls and the and i would get dragged to shul only for bar mitzvahs not for like yom kippur or anything yeah. but bar mitzvahs and stuff i'd have to go to this day i have this horror and i have to go and now they have to with it don't and i i'll take a yarmulke and the guy it happened to me the other day up in boreham wood and he tried to make put a shawl i don't know how my father used to do this kissing the corners of it and special folding and moving it's out hilarious. i don't know yeah. and, and i put it on like just like a, a towel after a shower at the football and you go, <laughs> and they're, all, they're all looking but no around my neck but just like hot <laughs> like a scarf like lacing it like a proper yeah. gentile like edward fox or something <laughs> and, they go, no, and i just please don't make me wear this thing because i don't know how but anyway so we had these things around the home but anyway so but we didn't do um friday night and we've started to do it very occasionally because my wife has a friend 
who I outed as a very from Jew, who she'd known for years, who pretended to be a vegetarian, so he didn't have to eat the food, but didn't want to tell them he was a Jew because he was afraid of being treated badly or differently or whatever. But he now will come and he comes at Hanukkah and he plays with a dreidel and sings the dreidel song, whatever, with my kids, which they can now do and I don't understand. <laughs> uh, and um, and he will come and do, do a bracha, do a little bit of praying and a bread thing and the big, rivi- oh, I can't remember how it you cover it and you uncover it. And I want that to be in my life. And I've kept meaning to and I haven't learned how to do it. But one of the things with the food column for you, I want to bake a, a challah and, and do that. Yeah, I think great. I can make matzah. I think I remember dimly what the afikoman was. My kids are probably just just still young enough to go and hunt for it. Yeah, it was always behind the curtains in my head. But so, I'm, so just one more word on the chicken soup. Yeah, what's the best way to make it? Do you think what's 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 your best? Having a sample. I mean, you, you mentioned that you make it with a glass of Madeira, which I thought was fascinating. I never tried that. Well, so there's, my, there's my, roast chicken. There's there's the, there's the raw chicken that goes in. There's different ways. Well, there's of a doing million kinds. Ultimate. There are a million kinds of things that are chicken soup. Mine has always been using the roasted bones, I save up from about three roast chickens and then have the giblets just and the then bones. Ne- just the bones. Right. Oh, well, the giblets and then the giblets, if, yeah. I, if, if I bought a chicken which comes with the giblets, which is like a Packington chicken from my local butcher will come with them. A less good chicken won't always come with the giblets. And that's just a, ro- that's just a roast. And you don't roast very long because it goes chalky. It's not like beef bones. You roast for, you, know, you cook the bones for an hour and a half with, with, uh, you know, bay leaves and thyme and carrots and garlic and that kind of a thing. And that's it. And then reduce it till it's quite, Quite so a just, strong just the broth and no meat in there. Nothing, right. and then nothing. Oh, then I might cook, put bar, cook it again when I was serving the soup, having frozen it or something with barley and thinly sliced carrot and something like that. The Jewish chicken soup I hadn't done, and I did it from Claudia Roden just to get the sense. But there's not a lot to know. There is get your carcasses and boil them. I, the the only thing I did do once years and years ago, the really traditional thing, which is to boil the whole chicken. Mm. And then serve the soup and then sol- serve the cooked chicken cold with pickles as a second course. Wow. So you take it out of the broth. Yeah. And you put it aside and then you make the canade luck and you serve them in the soup. And then for your second course, I gather this is all the rage on, on, uh, on Friday nights, but, uh, but, um, I, I, I've only had two and a half thousand words and I couldn't, I didn't have time <laughs> to do the next course. Right. So, so I didn't do it this time, but, but there's that. Funnily enough, my auntie Judy, who is my, who is the wife of my uncle Andrew, who's my mother's brother so she's my my mother's sister-in-law and she's from she's a manchester jew and uh she's she's they keep kosher much, well pretty much kosher i don't know what i can say people that listen to the podcast i think they do keep kosher and they, they certainly always had like two fridges at passover something quite reasonably that's, that's serious reasonably serious to me uh and and they would do huge spreads and passover and, they, and, and latterly i would that's when i would get some still get some passover action and they've got loads and loads of kids and it would all be quite jolly but it just because it, there's so many of them and it's part we've gone to four in the morning and partly jesus and an insomniac so she didn't mind and so it would be this huge wrong thing but a great festival but she have to put a chicken stock cube in and, really? and whenever i talked to her in the past about chicken soup she and and i remember her and her daughter my my oldest cousin stephanie casual uh she's called judith casual well, she's called judith casual but she was judith kerr and now anyway they're all called casual which i think means children of god in some Possibly language, and they definitely are that family. Anyway, despite being children of God, they put nor chicken stock cubes into the chicken soup, and she believes because I think because she's eaten, she's made chicken soup fifty-two times a year for for seventy-five years, and she thinks it tastes a bit bland, and she's entitled to have that feeling, (laughs) and she says you've got to put a stock cube in. I wouldn't do that because I feel that in trying to reclaim my Jewishness through cooking, it's got to be. This is quite a Jewish thing to think. It's got to be harder work than that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it can't just be crumbling. So let's talk gefilte fish. Mm -hmm. Now, to me. The gefilte fish is boiled and white and slightly flaccid with a piece of carrot on top. Is that what gefilte fish is to you? Because there are also other forms. There are fried, 
Well, it, baked, there is, but know. it's like the ball that is, again, this is like the fried fish. Have you made it? Hmm? Have you made it? I haven't. Right. I haven't made any of these things. I'm Maybe going next. to make them for your... I want to do Gefilte Fish next. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. If I can introduce my column by saying, I was going to do Cholent, but look at the weather. Yeah. I think the point about the Gefilte Fish is it is fried. And that's the thing. You fry the fish and then it's good to go for days. And then but you- it's boiled as well. Like the one that I most remember is boiled. And that's why it was this white boiled ball. with a Why would you boil anything that you top. could fry? Why would you do any of this stuff? <laughs> I don't know. You're right. I know what you mean. I think of it as a lightly fried round thing that's quite bouncy and it looks yeah. like it's going to be great and it has that spongy texture. I, I, the first time I ever ate tofu in a, in a, in a, in a Singapore luxer, I thought, is this gefilte fish? But I didn't. I looked at this Malaysian waitress and I, I was going to ask, is this gefilte fish? But it's clearly not. And it was a tofu because right. gefilte fish often tasted so little. I got in terrible trouble, not terrible trouble, but Jews complain more readily than other people and so I, in one restaurant review 15 years ago of a jewish restaurant i said the gefilte fish was terrible comma as it should be uh, <laughs> and, and it was like it was about the authenticity of this but these jews wrote in what do you mean terrible gefilte fish is, you're betraying the and i think look it's partly it's a joke but partly it's always a bit disgusting gefilte fish it just is a bit it's got sugar in it's slightly sweet why is the fish slightly sweet it's that's not okay it's like a fish cake the cake's metaphorical. You don't have to put sugar in it. What are you going to put chocolate on it next time? So I, I, I feel there's no reason why it shouldn't be nice, is there? No. It's like white no. fish. No. Well, it's just it's just minced white fish should be rolled up and fried. You don't breadcrumb it, do you? It's got a smooth outside. Fry it and then yeah. wouldn't it be nice if you just if there was some garlic in there? So it was a more like a hakao, more like a Cantonese dim sum. Well, that's, that's taken already. Yeah. Say, mean, well, that's yeah. prawn. Say, that's prawn. So that's prawn. this yeah. would be the white fish version of the prawn. There would be a non-trafe uh, thing. And so what, what about the Middle Eastern tradition of Jewish cooking? No, that's not, that's not Jewish. Do you, have you ever yeah. tried it or you into it? No. Uh, well, Israeli food? That is Israeli. No, I've always held with the Years ago, my friend, I was, one mustn't cite David Badil, but these days you can't talk about Jews without mentioning David. And he's been a friend for a very long time. And the very 20 years ago, when I first met him, we had a conversation. We said, I don't count Israelis as Jews. They're too self-confident. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I spoke to actually the podcast last that I last recorded. We spoke a lot about that. Right. Yeah. He t- um, so he, he's that. I, so I grew up in Crookwood. My dad called it Crookwood, but it was really, it was kind of West Hampstead, Childs Hill. It was fringes of Golders Green. And I remember Golders Green, was, we all know Golders Green was a very different place. It was all Ashkenazim. There were no Israelis. There were no juice bars. There was no falafel. There were no, there weren't really, there weren't even really so many Hasid in back then because it was mm. just, it was my sort of lot. It was um, United Synagogues, Orthodox uh jews with all with polish and ukrainian and russian parents now it's got that i've never i've been to israel once for like 24 hours i, I gather there's a lot of juice bars but You've it's really like, been there once yeah i went yeah okay i went would once. you like to go back i would i went once by mistake in about 1995 i went on a cruise lands of the bible and i was with my girlfriend at the time who like all my girlfriends was not jewish uh and we wanted i used to write about it for for the times and it was a travel freebie and it was Swan Hellenic, a saga cruise or a Swan Hellenic cruise, one or other. Lands of the Bible. And it was meant to be, it was Israel, Egypt, Syria. I mean, like most of the countries due to terrorist emergencies were kept struck from the trip and it was no real surprise. So it was the mistake. How In the end, you, well, no, so I, I, we ended up going, to, we, so, and there's this t- ridiculous cruise where you just arrive and then they, they bus you to the pyramids and you t- look and take a photo and get back on the bus and they bus you back. Yeah. And then we went to, and I wasn't, I was 28, 27. I wasn't, I was much less Jewish. I hadn't come back. I came back really to be, because I wrote a novel and it was, all about the Holocaust. And I ended up reading a lot and having a bit of a journey back in yeah. that. Well, my parents didn't want me to because they didn't, didn't like it being talked about. But, but, um, 
But anyway, we went to Jerusalem and I wasn't really, I just wasn't expecting, okay, fine, now, here we are, let's go and see this thing. And everyone's, with, with 300 goyim in their 60s and 70s, big fat sort of like with big cameras and things. And we got to Jerusalem, we went in and there was the, and they all had, in those days, there were no cam, phone camera, so they had big cameras, big um, lenses. I'm, I'm just yeah. they were hot, the cameras you basically hold on your shoulder, these big JVCs that, to, to record their holiday. Like camcorders. Yeah, camcorders, camcorders yeah. down to the Wailing Wall and you go and you sort of queue up and you go into the bit right in front of the Western Wall and then they give you, they were, they were giving you, if you gave everyone a paper yarmulke and I hadn't worn a yarmulke for ages and they never worn one ever and it, was, and it was very windy and when I think back to my yarmulke wearing it's usually at the Orthodox um, Cemetery in Bushy for another funeral always very windy there and I'm little and I never had a clip for my and I was I, a couple as one called it then uh, and, I, and, and I just running I was, it would always blow off in the middle of the thing when they're just shoveling the earth onto the coffin and go blowing off between the graves like a bicycle wheel and chasing after my my couple but and so what happened was we're there in front of the western wall and they were all and all their hats were blowing off and these are these elderly english people and elderly boys were running around with the camcorder still stuck on their eye trying to pick up their paper hat which was blowing around uh and while this was all happening i was just thinking can you swear on this podcast no it's not a swearing Brilliant. podcast Brilliant. Oh, <laughs> fuck the deal! I'm looking at that. Bloody deal. No, and I, I was thinking, thought, fuck, this is the, these are the stones, these are the stones. This is King David did this. This is, this is actually it. And, and it was just, it was, I was really not prepared for how intense this feeling was. And it had this wonderful comedic thing of all these overweight, uh, guys in, from sort of Bournemouth in Hawaiian shirts chasing after their paper yarmulkes. And I think this is the thing. And then you, so it moved you quite a lot. Enormously. And the whole, and the rest of the trip, I think we went, the Garden of Gethsemane is kind of above, isn't it? And you look down. So I was also, wow, this is kind of where Jesus did whatever it was he did there, which was also interesting to me because that's a Jewish story too. And, and there are these trees and they're not probably the same trees. And then you look down. I remember you see, you see that you look from there. If I remember right, I could be wrong. You see the Western Wall from the outside from Gethsemane, I think, when you're looking at the city or from if the, the outside perhaps. of it. Could be. Or you're looking at the city anyway, and there it is, and that's just, wow. And I think it's between the two intifadas. It, things were kind of vaguely, not okay, but they were okay. And they went to the, you know, the, and then, and I hope I haven't got this wrong because it was very formative, that there's undeveloped land outside the, on the edge of the wall because that's where the Canaanites sacrificed, did human sacrifice. Uh, and if, if that no. is a thing, it's what our guide who was you know, okay. five bucks a day, some Muslim, I don't know. <laughs> I thought there was this bit of undeveloped land, which was where the Canaanites, this is not food. Well, it is because they probably ate them afterwards. But it's where the Canaanites did their human sacrifices. And this has never been built on because it's where they did human sacrifices. And, here's the, and, the whole, and there, there lies in the beginning of monotheism. The whole thing, that's what Jews were. The Jews were the people. And that's what the Abraham sacrifice of Isaac is all about. Well, the thing that Jews are, they're the ones who don't sacrifice people to their God. That's it. and that's what a Jew basically is and that's where Christians and Muslims got that idea from and I saw this like as far as I could tell in front of me and I thought yeah okay maybe I'm Jewish and without that there'd be no unlaid eggs in your chicken soup and there'd be no unlaid eggs in my chicken soup exactly final question about your family and your I mean are you are you expecting success with this attempt to reintroduce your children to a Jewish identity via cooking well it, yes it, it is you notice any any change since the chicken soup experience uh, do you know my son's not eating chicken anymore at all? <laughs> That's a change. He decided, right his way. first word was duck, and although he applied it to pigeons, but he's always been very into birds generally. So he's now going a bit away from chicken, which will have to be changed. Right. I think, I think it's the eggs maybe slightly put him off. It's, it's partly about my children, but it's also about me. It's what can you do to be Jewish? Because I'm 54 next month, but, but I, since I was about 28, I've been thinking I must become Jewish again. I must, um, 
this is ridiculous that I'm so deracinated. My parents left it all behind, but it was very important to previous generations of Corins. It was very important to my father. My mother was keener to leave it behind. My father had been the star of the, I mean, all the Corins are the bloody stars of everything, but he'd been this star of the Cheder and he was this wonderful, he, but you'd hear him sing on Pesach or something. And, and it was just, it was, a, it was amazing. It was beautiful. And he would sort of cry and remember his father. And then the other 364 days, none of it. Go, just go to Lords, play cricket, smoke fags, write stuff, you know, and was just, you know, and he, he put it, and I thought, I must get it back. And the problem is because they were Orthodox, I can't really get it back because I can't read Hebrew. So I can't go to the shuls that my family go to. I had a look at that sort of reform, whatever it is, a liberal, that's, I just, that doesn't really count. I can go to church. I got married in church, as I always tell people, because Christopher Wren didn't do synagogues. So <laughs> we got married at St. Bride's. But, but, um, I, I want to come back and it's just very hard. And I even thought, oh, when my son was born, oh, weepy, weepy. He had a, he was circumcised at eight days, but, but wow. by a Muslim woman, weirdly, but still. So it was a six and one and a half a dozen the other, but it was on eight days and it was thing. And we did, you know. And how does your, your wife, who isn't Jewish, feel about your rekindling of the Jewish, the Jewishness of your, well, of unlike your a Jewish wife, anything that I do, she's happy. <laughs> if, I, if I'm happy, she's happy. I'm told it's not the same with Jewish women, but uh, honestly, whatever I would do, she's very, she loves Jews. I mean, that's what she's, she's like. Yeah. She, she is a, she is a grand philosemite, as is her father, who's a, an academic and historian, a historian of Marx, not a Marxist, just loves Jews, talks about it a bit too much whenever I see him. So tell me, he says it to my mum. So with this Jewish, my mother goes, what? Why? No one talks about this. Why are you so interested in Jews? It's weird and perverted. But my, she, no, she, she would love it if something were brought to them. And it's why through her friend Simon, we have brought them to a little bit of a, of a, of a sort of understanding of it. But, um, it's what can you do? Can't but food and and meals and the Passover is mm. no. I sometimes talk about that in terms of being a restaurant critic. It's you're already a restaurant critic. Passover is just the the annual re-examination of a meal. What does this meal mean? Why is this night different? What is this thing? Why do we do this? Why do we dip this? Why do we eat that? Why do we? And that's a question that I then ask of every meal. It doesn't mm. have to be have to. It doesn't have to be the the, the Heroseth or the or the. And how does how does Jewish cooking stack up against the other forms of cooking? Do you think? Do Jews have the best food? The worst food? It's. I mean, this is you want. Well, you said the thing about you asked the thing about the the Sephardic tradition, and that's always part of the, the Lebanese, Syrian, Palestinian, Israeli. There's also questions of ownership. That's one of the great cuisines of the world. That is the first cuisine yeah. done. There's not, there's not that many dishes in it. There's not that much range, but that's the sort of the basis of it, of, of everything in the Western tradition. And there's the there's the sort of um, the South Asian tradition, and there's the Southeast Asian and the Chinese. These great cuisines, com- by comparison to that, the shtetl cuisine for me, doesn't really stack up on an objective basis. Yeah. It's somewhere along with Polish and Australian cooking in terms of its importance. So, but, it's, but, it's, but it's full of meaning. And I don't want to learn how to make fal- a falafel wrap or a, or a marouche. Well, that's not, not Jewish, obviously. But no. I mean, just I, I don't want to. It's not the kind of thing that I, that I really want to be doing. I, I, I want it to be about these, these. It's about more than food. These issues, which are basically, they're not nice enough to eat just for the taste. You've got to be eating them because they mean something and they connote something and they have a historical significance. Yeah. Like, like eating a book of the Bible, it's slightly chewier. So at the end of each podcast, traditionally now, I ask for a kvetch of the week. Do you have a kvetch, something that's been really winding you up this week, more than any other week, more than anything else? It's about cricket. Okay. Uh, and there's, a, you know, the, the current, um, president of the MCC, Stephen Fry is a Jew, you know, uh, yep. it's okay to be, to be, uh, to be a Jewish cricket fan. There's a lot of us about, there is a Jewish exhibition currently going on at Lords about uh, Jews in cricket and it features me, albeit briefly, because the bar is low. My kvetch is basically the ashes, which the ashes in this country that I wait four years for, like people wait for the, the, the World Cup. Uh, the first thing in a football thing, which I don't take an interest in, but the, 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 the ashes and it should be spread across the summer. It should start 
towards the end of June and go through into August. And that is, you book your holidays. You make sure you're not in the south of France when the cricket's on and you watch every ball day to day. And then you have sort of 10 days off or two weeks off and you come back to the next one and you watch the next one. And this year, because of the scheduling, they've crammed it all in before the end of July. And it's made it very, very hard to watch around a normal working life. I will take weeks off normally to watch the Ashes and I'm having to work and indeed record podcasts when there is cricket going on. Uh, so that is, that is a major, major effect and I will I'm hoping that four years from now assuming that the people on the International Cricket Committee uh, listen to this podcast that they will take heed and next year they will spread the ashes out across the summer it's called an ashes summer for a reason it should be the whole of it well, thank you very much for that fetch. I'm sure it has a lot of people stumped this year and thank you very much for coming in and joining our podcast thank you it was great thanks very much You've been listening to Let's Talk, the Jewish Chronicle podcast, sponsored by the Athena Advisors, with me, Jake Wallace-Simons, editor of the Jewish Chronicle. If you haven't subscribed, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.